Welcome to the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show, the premier online startup pitch contest where top climate tech and impact founders pitch VCs looking to fund world positive companies. If you're a founder looking for funding or a climate or impact investor interested in joining and investing alongside forward VCs, syndicate, and companies that move the world forward, please visit thestartuptank.com for more details and to apply. But now it's time to enter the tank. And we are live. Welcome to the Startup Tank, the Climate Investor Pitch Show, where we bring on the world's top early stage climate companies and try to get some deals done alongside our climate sharks, our panelists, our dragons, folks who are focused on putting big money into big, big picture climate companies. All of this is brought to you guys by Forward VC and our Climate Techies community. If you haven't checked this out, you can find out more about us at forward.vc, the number four ward.vc. We invest in and help companies that move the world forward. We've got our Climate Techies community of 4,000 plus on Slack and WhatsApp. Lots of free resources like our Climate VC database. We've got the Startup Tank sessions we're doing every two weeks. Lots of other member-only events. And everything else you can find at forward.vc. If you want to get our Climate VC database, it's forward.vc. And I probably should have introduced myself. I'm Matt. I'm the host here of the Startup Tank and Forward. And today's show, it's not about me. It's about the incredible companies that we've gotten to present. They'll each have five minutes to pitch to our panel of climate sharks. Today, I'm joined by a couple of pretty incredible investors. I'll bring them on board. First of all, uh, Mr. Alex. Definitely need to add Alex Languth with uh, Uber Morgan coming in from Zurich. Alex, you want to share a little bit more about Uber Morgan and say hey to everybody? Sure. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm one of the co-founders of Uber Morgan Ventures. We are an early stage climate tech VC based here in Zurich and in London. Um, we invest in pre-seed seed. Um, we have a generalist approach. So everything that reduces greenhouse gas emissions uh, and has an interesting business model is within our focus. Nice to be here tonight. And awesome to have you back on. Taruko, do you want to go with Kaigen? Uh, yes, uh, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm Teruko, SVP of VC Investment at Kegan Capital. Uh, Kegan Capital is a uh, 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 majority of uh, major businesses uh, managing a hedge fund with uh, $500 million of AM. Uh, alongside the hedge fund management, we are investing in a private company in sustainability climate tech area, as well as the healthcare sector. Uh, we focusing on uh, uh, early stage companies. Uh, yep. Uh, and uh, among the uh, sustainability area, we invest uh, broad success and uh, geographically, uh, we invest Europe, uh, US, and Japan. And last but certainly not least, we've got Sandro Mickelman with uh, Vario Ventures. Yeah, it's very nice to meet you, Matt. Um, so I'm part of the Vario Ventures team. Um, we're an early stage fund based in Berlin. We focus on electrification. Um, so we're really into the energy market and um, that can be applications around um, housing, energy and housing, energy and mobility. Um, that is certainly PV, that is heat pumps. So everything around the energy transition um, from an early stage and then software focused, um, maybe hardware enabled, but mostly software focused. Um, we we start investing with 250k tickets. We do follow-ups um, up to 2 million in Series A. 
Awesome. And I run Forward VC and our partner in Climb Accelerator. We invest in one to two companies a month alongside our syndicate members and help grow and scale the companies with intros to our 250 plus mentors, folks who are high up at places like Porsche, Honda, Lufthansa, HSBC, yada, yada. The goal being, if you're an early stage company, what you need more than anything our customers, clients, and some real traction. If you want to find out more about us and what we do, forward.vc. And if you want to check out our Climate Techies community, which has a bunch of free networking events, free access to VCs, other investors, and a lot of other perks, you can check it out at forward.vc slash membership. But today we've got some incredible companies here to present. So let's take these awesome investors out for a sec and hand things over to our companies. They'll each get five minutes to present, followed by about 10 minutes of Q&A. And then we will see at the end of the night, we'll have the uh, viewers vote as well as our climate VC panelists to see who it's our climate startup of the night. And Alex posted something. So I guess volunteers are victims. Alex, you want to go first with Cascadia? There we go. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. Um, my name is Alex Wick. I'm the founder and uh, CEO of Cascadia Carbon. Uh, the easiest way I can describe what we do is we tokenize carbon negative assets. Uh, so we, we basically create digital twins of trees, uh, alkyl bioreactors. Um, One quick sec, the... Alex, are you trying to share your screen? You don't have uh, to. I'm not, but I, I okay. could. You, you don't have to. If you want to share your screen, go for it. If not, it's all fine as well. Uh, so right now I'm on my phone, so I, I can run on my computer. I, I, I thought this was going for a couple hours. So I didn't really expect to be presenting this soon. I'm still no, drinking my coffee. No, no, still drinking the coffee. No worries. And then um, Patricio, do you want to take over with Blue Tech and go first? Uh, sure, thanks. I'm going to share the screen. Awesome. And then let, let us know when you're ready, and then we'll kick off your five minutes. I'll give you a one-minute shot clock to finish things up fast. Sound good? Yes, great. So can you see my my screen now? Looking good. Take it away. Okay, thanks a lot. So we are Blue Global. We are based in South America, and we are a startup focused on data to improve and monitor air quality. And the problem is very clear. You know, almost 90% of the population are highly exposed to pollutants daily, and it ha this has a lot of impacts. You know, uh, more than seven people uh, die prematurely every year because of a lot of exposure to pollutants. And most of these pollutants come from big industries, you know, and from these industries, almost 60% of people are highly exposed. And the worst thing is that there's not enough data. You know, in LATAM, there's only one official monitoring station per each 60 square kilometers. So you are taking decisions of big areas with data that is not representative. So as you can imagine, this is a huge problem. It's not only in LATAM, but it's across the world. So it's a problem that gives space for more than one player. Uh, the market fit for us is very clear. We are working B2B with industries with high emissions like mining, construction, oil and gas. All these industries are highly regulated in terms of occupational safety, also about uh, emission controls. They all need uh, to manage uh, lawsuits with uh, sacrifice, sacrifice zones, you know, that these little billets that are across or very near to the, to the industries. And they also need to report their ESG metrics so we can help them. And also, we are working with smart cities because today, more than ever, cities need to, to sensorize different parameters, parameters, and air quality is one of those. Uh, our solution is a pollutant management platform powered by hyperlocal and mobile sensors, low-cost sensors, that can, can take all the data and show that data in a real-time platform giving alerts, KPIs, metrics, 
And also we can automatize and take from this platform automatic reports that you can see here at the right. So you can make easy the, the, the work of our customers to take better decision on time. At the same time, we have a, a here in the middle, we have a georeferencing map where you can see what is happening in your area and take control of this. We also have here on the right, this little device that can help to manage uh, pollutants in indoor uh, environments that we use a lot with fleets and the mining trucks. Our business model is very simple. We have several ways to have a income. We have a setup fee to deploy all the, the platform. Then we can sell or rent the sensors. And then for each sensor, you, you will need to pay a monthly fee to have all the data, all the reports. And also we have a, a monthly fee for the device uh, mitigation sensors, I mean devices. So this year we're going to finish with 500K in regular revenues. And this, then for the future, we are, we are working to, of course, improve our number of customers and to increase our penetration because we are talking about big companies that are across the world in construction and mining. There are a few players, but they have operations across the world. So we're now in our second round. Uh, this second round will be used mainly for expansion in Latin and US and also, of course, for research and development. We have already one ticket from this second round. Uh, our our team, we are three co-founders with a lot of experience in tech, in telecommunications, also in industries. And of course, we have an incredible team of nine people working every day to improve our quality. So we have an amazing board of advisors. And also we have the sponsor of big players such as Google and Microsoft Startups. We are also part of Pymatech Tile. So we work every day with these uh, companies to improve all our metrics. So we are today, we are working in three countries. We are in Chile, Argentina, and Peru, and we have more than 50 big customers in each of these customers, in each of these countries, sorry. So we keep growing day by day. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks so much for presenting. You even beat the one minute warning. That was surprising. While well, I bring in the other investors on board, quick question that I would have is just how did you break into this? What's your story? So yeah, my story. So I used to work in the corporate world in the car business, you know, uh, industry, and I was very worried because my main KPI was to put more cars in the streets and you know more cars and more pollution. We live in Chile, that is one of the most polluted uh, cities, and you know Santiago is the number one city more polluted in Latam. So we 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 grew up with all these. Uh, alerts that you can do you cannot do sports you cannot do go to events so for for us you know pollutants and air quality is, uh, is a very big issue and panelists if it's your first time just jump in whenever you got questions i can start maybe um yeah thanks first of all for the presentation really interesting um i was wondering focus primarily on mining companies um i was just uh wondering why you chose that specific vertical in, uh, named a couple of reasons, but there's also lots of other verticals I could think about, like shipping, for example, or even just within cities. Um, and I was wondering why you chose that, uh, what potential further verticals will be, and uh, how big that market is for um, the high potential verticals you want to work in. Sure. So we chose mining and construction because they are very regulated. So this is like a must-have. They really need this solution. And why uh, there's a main focus on mining because Chile is the first producer in copper worldwide. You know, 23% of the 
cover production comes from the north of Chile. So you have very big players from across the world that are working here. So it's a very good like lab to test our technology with uh, huge players. And what will be next in terms of uh, after all these mines and uh, construction companies? Yes, so we think that oil and gas is an incredible sector to work. Uh, there is no many players here locally, so that's why we are we are going to also to to Argentina, to Peru, and other countries, and also smart cities. You know, we are now doing some projects here uh, in Latam with smart cities, and it's very interesting. Perhaps on the IP side, um, do you have intellectual property in the sensors, in the software? What is developed on your side? What is purchased? Yes. So the main, the main, you know, uh, tool that we protect our platform, you know, because sensors are a commodity. So we 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 don't build the sensors yet. We just bring the the sensors from from Asia, and then of course all the firmware is is proprietary from us. And then we work with the with the industrial secret because you know today you cannot patent anything you know everything even if you do you have only fifty percent chance if you have, if you go to to a, to a trial so we are working with contracts and NGAs and industrial secret with our customers. Uh, is it true? Sure. Sorry, uh, is there uh, any competitor uh, from the last company? Yes, so very good question. So there's a few competitors that we have we have uh, in our in our radar with different focus, you know, because for instance, in, in US, you have a purple that they are more focused on sensors. They have a lot of sensors, you know, but we declare ourselves as hardware agnostic because today we are working with our sensors, but we also are taking data from open source sensors. So our business is more the platform that rather than the sensor. Then you have uh, you have AQR that's based in Europe, and they have an amazing platform. They have a lot of data, but they are monetizing from from a from you know prote protector for protections like masks and other stuff to 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 protect your health. And then you have early uh, clarity. They are more focused on on on. They are very great, very good players. They are more focused on the smart city and not so on B2B industrial. So we have this different focus. So we are not there, but we are different. You know, we are all good. We are different, different focus. Why have you chosen Smart City as a second pillar? I mean, that is just to my understanding, it's a completely different business or target group uh, when, you, when you talk about mining or oil and gas. Um, you need yes. to approach it differently. Why is that the, the way to go? Yes, so we decided B2B first than uh, smart cities because the B2G, you know, do, do business with govern governments, not easy. You know, it takes a lot of time. Uh, is uh, Once you are inside, it's, it's huge, you know, because you can grow a lot, but it takes time to, to start. So we decided to go B2B to have revenues, to, to deploy our projects in, in that industries. And after that, we can show that credentials to, to government and we can go farther, you know, with them. Yeah, but maybe, that sales cycle it's a really long sales cycle so it, it in, in b2b is three months so after after three months we are doing business you know and we think it's not i mean it's a lot of time but if you consider that these are big big industries that one project can be a lot of money you know and you have the the, the opportunity to to go and to penetrate in different different areas 
uh, I we think that it it's is working. You mentioned Perfect. that you have already fifty clients. What's your yeah. uh, what's your ARR and what's the engagement there? Is it first like a pilot stage and then uh, you roll out to the entire mine or how sure. does it work? Yeah, very good question. So of course we we always start with a commercial pilot, but we over always uh, charge for the pilot, you know, because when you don't charge for a pilot, they don't have any any commitment with you. So we charge uh, that pilot, and after that we we start with little projects that in a year is like thirty thousand dollars in a year. So that's the first ticket for one contract in a year, and after that we go deep and we take another another projects inside the same companies. So we also work, uh, Alexander, with Alliance. So uh, sometimes it's very difficult to go and do business straight with a, with a big construction company or with a big miner. So we work with uh, Johnson Controls, for instance, or other companies that already have the contracts. So we are the providers from, from these to, to these big companies and we can go uh, hand by hand with these companies Alliance in other market too. Maybe another question on the technology. Um, what is it exactly? What uh, type of pollution you can um, you can measure with your sensors? Yes, very good question. So uh, we need a modular sensor, so we can put and uh, and extract any kind of sensor. You know, gases, uh, CO two, TBOC, uh, uh, particle matter. You know, so we have more than 50, 50, 15 parameters. And we can we can uh, we can change because it's like a pl plugin, you know. You yeah. So yeah, because that would be uh, when you go to different industries like oil and gas, methane, methane would be, for example, very interesting. And uh, I can assume that it, it makes a lot of sense to have like a modular kind of system where you can uh, upgrade capabilities if needed. Yes, uh, indeed. The, the good thing. Of yeah, the good the good thing of this uh, platform solution that it doesn't uh, even if we have different industries is the same solution. We have just to do little adjustments when we deploy the the platform, and that's it. So it's very good. Yeah. Maybe one last one from my side. How do you want to expand beyond uh, South America? You you're in right now. Yeah, right. sure. We already uh, we are legally established in Delaware because we are always always thinking about to go abroad, not only Latin, of course. Uh, but for us, it was easy to start here locally, you know, in the in, in the countries that we manage. But of course, our 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 scope and our uh, main goal is to go not only in the United States but also Europe. And what is challenging when going there? Is it the regulatory environment uh, different customers what is he no is i think it's, yeah it's, it's a very good question sandra so it's, it's a matter of resources you know today we are doing this second round because we need some resources to go and 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 embrace more markets you know so that's is that just a, a thing of of money at this point Speaking of money, how's the fundraising going? So yes, we already. So our first round was a 800k with with a local investor. So now we are in the second round. Uh, we we established like uh, parameters between 500k and 1.5 million. So it depends on the runaway. You know, the first one will give me 15 months and the other 30 30 months. So now we have at uh, the first ticket, uh, 45 45k. 
and then we have an MOU signed with a, with another with another investor, but we, we haven't uh, accepted the offer because at this moment it's very very important uh, who is involved in the business. You know, this the second round is very important to have all the network, all the connections to really go to the next step. And we're also working with, uh, I think, four more VCs that are now taking the decision the next, we hope, 30 to 45 days. What's your ideal uh, consortium then? Your ideal investor consortium for this next round? Sorry, I, I didn't get it. But if you uh, could choose, what type of investors would you add to the cap table with your next round? Yes, yes. So. We have two, two, two ideas that could be very work a lot, you know, one of, one of that is, of course, to have somebody involved in the impact business, you know, climate, you know, sustainability, for us, it's very important, some investor that has that focus and really cares about this. And the other, of course, also industrials, you know, so one of the two of the funds that, that we are working now, they're like the CVC of big industries that are very regulated. So it has a lot of sense to be involved with this kind of investors also. Any last questions, folks? It's, I think Patricio answered it pretty well. Maybe one last question. Um, just just thinking about it. Why why do you think this is this is actually climate tech? I mean, it is about pollution, right? It's about worker safety. Um, that is important. But why is it climate tech? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question, you know, because the things that you cannot ma measure, you cannot work on. So there's a lot of things that are happening. But if you if you don't have the data to improve, you know, a, a environment, you will not do it. So maybe we are we are like a part that is needed in this chain to make things happen. So if you give data properly and you 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 help them how to use data these other places can take action. So that's why we decided to get involved in the climate. Cool, thanks. Yeah, it's a question of if you count carbon accounting or carbon credits, because if those yeah. count, then I don't see how this cannot count. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. But, and, but... and the idea, just the, the, the last thing, but the idea is just to 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 convert this, this platform in a hub, you know, because when you have all the emissions of these big industries, you can help them, you know, to to to, 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 to have an equivalence between the, the emissions and the carbon credits, for, for instance, you, can, you could be like a carbon credit broker inside this platform. And also you can help them to, to report all the ESG metrics, you know, because today it takes a lot of time to do all the reports, all the information that you have to gather, gather to, 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 to present to the, to, the, to, the, to the regulated institutions. So if you can help them with all this data, it, I think it's a great, it's a great point of view. I mean, it's a great tool for them. Awesome. And thanks for pitching, uh, Patricio. Thanks for sharing. Again, if folks want to apply to an upcoming session, just the startuptank.com. And now I would say, uh, Vit, do you want to share Thule and a little bit more about what you guys are doing? You want to go next? Yes. Can you hear me? Hear you loud and clear. Perfect. So, uh, let you me share my are screen. spotlighted and good to go. Can everyone see that? Okay. Looking good. Your five minutes starts now. Take it away. Perfect. Hey, everyone. My name is Vit. I'm building Thule. But before I get into that, I just want to start off with a couple of key headlines. 
So climate change emissions from buildings and construction hit a new high. Why reducing carbon emissions from buildings is the key to fight climate change. Our buildings are driving us closer to climate hell. Every single day, we get blasted with more and more of these headlines, and it all comes down to one thing, climate change. One of the biggest climate uh, impact sectors influencing the climate crisis today is buildings. 40% of the global CO2 emissions comes from buildings, with its building materials accounting for half of these emissions. Local policies realize that this is the case and are setting mandatory targets. Voluntary carbon targets in 2022 will become mandatory in 2026. As a result, a whole bunch of developers are still struggling to meet these, uh, meet these targets. And we know this because we spent a ton of time talking to our potential users. That's why we're building Tuli, the first platform that allows you to track, manage, and report out these carbon emissions. But before I get into that, I spent the last four years working as a sustainability consultant, and this is exactly the issue I dealt with. We've spent a whole bunch of time creating carbon reports for building developers, but the one thing that consultants couldn't do is analyze buildings as a whole. So let's take this building as an example. So you can input your building uh, design targets no matter what strategy, no matter what stage of design it's in, and you can optimize your building and then finally report it out. Going into the nitty gritty of it, you can upload your building integrated models. So your Revit models, AutoCAD, you can upload your building design no matter uh, what stage of design it's in. From there, we can figure out what the best bang for your buck is to meet your targets. So whether that's looking into mass timber buildings or concrete buildings. So um, right now, building developers spend on average $2.7 million for low carbon materials. But with Thule, we can save those users over $1 million in cost spent towards uh, selecting low carbon materials. And ultimately, we're creating a platform to help you manage your different design iterations and your portfolio to help you report out these carbon emissions to your building uh, investors and to your local policies. So going into the details a bit further, so on, on average, these developers are paying $40,000 a year to consultants to create these uh, carbon reports for your building materials. And on average, these materials that they're selecting to meet these targets cost $2.7 million. But with Thule, like I mentioned, we can save users $40,000 per year in the cost spent for a life cycle uh, analysis, which is that um, the reporting process for materials. And we can save them over $1.1 million per building because we can select more sustainable materials more efficiently, really capture those low hanging fruits. As a result, we see a market of $22 billion globally per year. And this only includes new developments per year um, for office and multi-unit residential buildings. As a result, we're paying, charging, plan to charge our users $7,500 per building per year during the design stage and $1,500 per building per year after the building has been designed and constructed to help you report out your carbon emissions. This market is huge. Um, it's constantly growing at a rate of 9.5% per year. And by 2030, it'll become a uh, $1,300 billion uh, industry. Our, no one has been doing the things that Tuli is offering. Currently, all the tools in the market offer a no-cost analysis, so, so they don't really figure out what the best bang for your buck is, or it's incredibly manual. And consultants, like I mentioned, just cannot be doing this entire work, managing thousands and thousands of different materials. One minute warning. Yeah. 
So we've spoken to hundreds of players in the key space. And the key thing that we want to share here is we have five pilots in the pipeline and we're looking into funding from um, the SEC, which could equate to around $200,000. So over the next couple of months, we're looking to launch our MVP, secure some additional engineers and launch our full product with five plus firms and gain that $100,000 in revenue. I, like I mentioned, have spent a ton of time sustainability and know the space uh, very well as I was a consultant before. My two co-founders, Colleen Arpin, has spent a ton of time sustainability as well and will be leading the technical charge. The ask today is that we're looking to raise a pre-seed round for $500,000. With this pre-seed round, we're looking to launch our MVP and uh, start to develop our, our full product features, gain 10 customers with $100,000 in revenue, and ultimately expand the team with two engineers and 18 months of runway so that we can really get ahead of the incoming um, policies. And Thank time, you. It, time is up. Let's bring back the other investors. So you guys have been making some pretty good progress up until this point. Is it, it's been totally self-funded so far? Yeah. Um, it's been self-funded, um, for about four or five months. Um, the rest of it, we've been part of, um, the next 36, it's one of Canada's top entrepreneurship programs here. So they provided us with some funding over the summer. Awesome. Good work. Then, uh, Taruko, you want to kick things off and take it away? Uh, yeah, uh, it might be a good question, but uh, I have heard of some of the company who is trying to do the same kind of things, uh, calculating uh, as a capacity you know, of the building project. Uh, how is different uh, your technology versus such a competitor? And uh, what do you mean by the automatic full cost analysis? Yeah, um, good question. Let me just flip towards that. So all the companies that are doing um, something similar to us right now, um, they're pretty early on. You can see Tangible, who is a, a seed company right now. They're pretty early on. And one thing that they don't do is offer a cost analysis. So what that means is for a developer trying to meet these local policies, uh, investor goals, ESG targets, whatever the case is, they need to spend a whole bunch of money to get you towards your target. And the solution isn't as easy as, let's go from a concrete building to a wooden building. There's a whole bunch of complications internally that happen with budgeting, uh, structural, things like that. So when, uh, what these other companies do is they strictly just suggest different materials that you can use that meet your targets, but that doesn't mean that it'll be ad adopted most times. Versus what we're trying to do is really figure out, hey, let's add a cost element to this. Let's add a carbon element to your materials. And using both of them, let's overlap them to figure out what the best bang for your buck is to meet your targets while still being um, a structurally sound um, product. To talk about the manual and automatic part, um, what I meant by that is a lot of these companies um, take your consultants and audit a sustainability consultant will need to go into these programs, will need to take a whole bunch of drawings from architects, structural engineers, and really figure out what is the best strategy to meet your targets. And that's a huge process. It can take several months, thousands and thousands of dollars because it's very manual. And the one caveat to all of this is right now, consultants can only look at say 50, 100 maybe um, different materials for your buildings but there's 
tens of thousands of materials out there. So it becomes a, a problem that only an automatic system like Thule can solve. Alex wants to know how you undercut Deloitte. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that Deloitte offers uh, carbon accounting for buildings. Um, so I'm, I'm not too sure. Uh, just sorry, I'm just reading this question here. Um, not, I'm not too sure, but I can definitely check into that. I mean, there's a lot of players in the space either way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perhaps one, one question on the user, um, just so that I really understand it right. So you have the project developer, right, who's in the phase of construction responsible for the, for the potential building, and then you have the asset owner who's at some point um, is, is, is owning the asset. Who do you target specifically? Because you said when, when you sh were showing the pricing um, in the construction part, you have different pricing from the, from the um, owner part in, in the layer stage. Whom are you addressing exactly? Yeah, uh, great question. So it starts with, uh, like you mentioned, it's, it's two phases. One is the developer who is constructing the building. They're usually the ones who are um, the first stage owners before they either sell it off to an asset owner or the asset owner uh, secures the developer to kind of create this building. Um, so for the developer in the first stage of design, they would be, I, I would be selling Thule towards them because they will be the ones that need to meet these low carbon targets and are typically the ones paying for these other competitors like uh, one click LCA to your sustainability consultants, things like that. And the flip side is once the building is built and constructed, um, asset owners will need to report out their scope three, scope two emissions. And uh, since we've already collected a whole bunch of data upfront um, about their buildings, about how it's already uh, contributing to the 2030-2040 goals, uh, we can naturally help them report it out towards uh, investors, CDP reports, things like that. And is it later stage, is it a challenge for you? Because I know that a lot of asset owners already have a tool for that, or they are just in the process of getting a tool for that, which doesn't have to be necessarily the tool the the, um, the construction company and the project managers are, are working with. Is it a challenge to acquire those second tier customers? Yeah, um, so our actually our biggest value add is in that first initial stage with our optimization tool, bringing your best bang for your buck. But we actually recently talked to one of uh, a Canadian developer um, in Allied. I'm not sure if you're familiar. They're pretty big uh, in space with uh, um, a whole bunch of buildings in the portfolio. So they they did acknowledge that hey, like this optimization piece is the most valuable to us. But since we've already collected a whole bunch of information upfront about our buildings and helped us kind of walk through that initial stage of reporting it's only natural that you can um, store this data and kind of help us facilitate um, embodied carbon reductions throughout the, the 2030, 2050 goals. So it's, um, it's, not, um, it's not a huge issue or it's not too difficult for us to collect this data. So naturally we want to collect it and report it out if possible. And at our 1,500 for that later stage reporting, it becomes a no brainer for these companies like Allied who have a team of, I think, 10 people, and it takes about three months to do uh, carbon reporting for both uh, operational and embodied, but um, yeah. Cool. 
Where do um, architects fall into um, your customer groups? Don't you have to work with them as well? Yeah, so our architects, um, what we found are they won't be paying the bills. Um, they won't be the ones making the key design decisions about building. It's more so the workflow that we've been noticing is the developer will set a whole bunch of, um, in this case, let's call them owner project requirements about how the building should be developed, whether it should be a concrete building, whether it should be a mass timber building. And then from there, the developer will um, send those requirements towards your architects to really design using that space. So for what we're trying to offer in terms of like structural materials, in terms of these key carbon materials, it's more so requirements that the architects will need to work around, more so something that the architects will need to work with us to decide. So it's really the developer who will make those decisions. And then means that you only focus on the primary materials of the building. So what is a, like the, you basically choose concrete, wood over concrete in that sense. And there's really so many materials that you can choose from. Yeah, so um, so a typical building takes about five years to be dis from design to constructed. And at every stage of design, um, there's like different elements that are, um, that are kind of decided. So in the first stage, it'll be a structural materials. The next stage, it'll be your exterior materials. And then you'll go into your interior and further and further. So just taking your exterior materials, for example, you can go from steel, concrete, and wood, three big categories. Um, say in the case that wood and steel are not the best for your building, you can go into concrete. And for concrete, there's tens of thousands of different mixes. Um, in America alone, I, I can't remember the exact number of EPDs or the, the types of concretes out there right now, but it's something in the five digits. Um, so there is a whole bunch of analysis that need to be done. And actually what I did at my past job was, hey, let's put in different types of mixes for concrete and let's see what gets you towards your goal. And that process was a guess and check, let's try different concretes. So with Thule, we would want to add that cost element to figure out, hey, this is your best strategy. There's a lot of people doing that on the concrete side of things. That give, brings a lot of other competitors into the mix. How do you deal with that? Yeah, uh, great question. So yeah, the, con the concrete side is a big market because concrete actually accounts, or your structural materials account for 80% of your carbon emissions for buildings. But the problem, that we noticed or we're, that we're trying to solve for is no one's accounting for the 20% of your materials from your exterior or interior. And there's been research studies shown that you can reduce the body carbon or uh, media carbon targets uh, by 46%, so reduce your carbon emissions by 46% for a 0.5% cost premium. And any developer hearing that number is a no brainer. But what is a limitation for them is they can't go through every single building element. They can't go through um, every single category of buildings because it's, it's just not feasible. And most of those low-hanging fruits to really get you towards your goal cost-effectively come in your interior elements or come in your exterior elements. These pieces that sustainability consultants just can't look for and are actually low-hanging fruits that you can meet your targets. That's why we're so confident saying that, hey, we can save a developer a million dollars to meet these targets 
because we're targeting those low hanging foods, we're targeting the different uh, mixes, uh, we're targeting different concrete ratios, things like that, really um, picking and choosing um, where the developers should spend their time. How you go. Uh, would it make sense for you to work with those sustainability consultants instead of the um, developers right away? Because then you basically yeah. have a bigger spread or you can bigger leverage on your customers. Yeah. Um, actually, we noticed that that was the case this last week. Um, we've been having active like pilot conversations. And one of our biggest pilot conversations right now was with a sustainability consultant out in Philadelphia where they want to just upload their buildings to our, like upload their building projects to our portfolio manager, just so they can do this analysis for all their consultants and really add another stream of uh, work to their, their scope of work. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You totally agree and that's what you're focused on or you totally agree and that's what you should be doing? I, I totally agree. And that's one of our focuses right now where we think um, that we can focus on um, the building, sustainability consultants for the buildings. Yeah. And what's the biggest challenge you have? What, if you fail, why will it be? If we fail right now, um, one of the problems that we notice is buildings are, are constructed, they're overly Overstructurized, where a whole bunch of materials are implemented in buildings where they don't need to be. So, say you're designing a ten-story building in Toronto, the structural engineers right now are accounting for a twelve-story unit, so they're adding a whole bunch of structural materials that don't need to be there right now. So, for a developer, um, what that means is they're spending a whole bunch of money for these materials when they don't need to be. Um, and the flip side of it is these investors- so why, are saying, are they, why are they doing that? Because they're not stupid. So what's caused this to happen? It's the structural engineers. They are almost copying and pasting their previous structural designs from one building to another to, and they're not creating case specific buildings towards um, what you're trying to design right now. Every building is different. So every building should be, have its own structural requirements. But the easy way out for structural engineers is to take your analysis from a previous building and apply it to a, a new one. So it's, it's a bit of um, taking the easy route. The developers wouldn't mind paying for that because that's what they're used to. That's a typical practice. And one thing that we think that we can offer is really figuring out, hey, like, how do you reduce the materials? How do you... Um, figure out a design for a, stru a structural building that is actually what you're designing for. So um, it, it's, a, it's a problem of information right now. There's not an, a lot of information on what is the correct design for your building. And the only people that really know that is structural engineers, but the issue is structural engineers don't provide that level of consultancy. Is there, is there a way to bring that in the system to actually improve the, the building structures and not just the material use? Is it yeah. possible? Yeah, um, it is. Um, one of our uh, advisors right now have done a bunch of research on this topic because the biggest way to actually meet your low carbon targets is by reducing materials. Um, 
and it's 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 a takeoff analysis. Um, it's a takeoff problem, I should say, where um, a a building is built um, is designed and using archetype models, using a whole bunch of data, using a whole bunch of predictive systems, you can predict what this building typically should function as. So that when you have your structural design and you have this almost AI computed design, you can compare the two and figure out what your, um, like where you can start to cut down materials. And that can be taken back to the structural engineer and it's just a cyclical process. Awesome. Then I think I think that's everything from the investors. Any last questions, folks? Certainly seems like a, certainly seems like something. Although it is very competitive as well. Thanks for pitching today, Vit. Thank you, Vit. Make sure we keep uh, keep things moving forward. And next we've got a uh, Dulat with Y Quantum, uh, trying to go next gen uh, green drones. Uh, Dulat, you ready? Thank you. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, you're good to go whenever you're ready yeah i'm sharing screen awesome take it away okay um so hello my name is Vlad. i'm with my team working on advanced robotic drone system uh let me change why so advanced robotics. So the goal is to create advanced robotic multipurpose drones. Uh, it's going to be evolution of transportation. So drone uh, will have abilities uh, to vertical takeoff and landing with all. So it will have abilities to advanced speed and long-range renewable energy future. Uh, it's planned to be body with covered entirely with solar. Um, and so we plan later on uh, build autopilot AI system with computer vision. Uh, okay, now uh, the current stage is engine under development. So. It was my hobby uh, two years ago. Uh, while I work for Herbless Packer, so I started like to do what I like to do. And uh, so um, I worked bef uh, before December 2022. For, so I, I lost job uh, because of crisis. And I started like full work uh, full full time on it, and uh, this is all pictures is real. Uh, it it was produced by me by me and my team. So now uh, the latest one uh, robotic engine is uh, V six, so it's under test now. So we do. Uh, Advanced 3D printing and advancing 3D uh, circuit board with programming Arduino. Yeah. So this is pictured just uh, as a sample. So the next stage is going to be to create uh, the body of the drone. Uh, 
yeah so all parts of the, uh, of the drone is going to be 3d printed and it's going to be fully electric with advanced features and ai computer vision for to help uh, pilots navigate um so this is uh, our business model so we are planning to manufacture it uh, at least with small to start with small manufacturing and uh, create sales so we're gonna get feedback and improve so yeah so we planned um this is our financial projection so this is going to be profitable company what are their percentages yes uh, every year we think we are going to increase percentage of production and sale um, yeah. of drone so this is uh uh, goal of uh, use of funds uh, and so we divided part for modification for research for production for sale one minute warning yeah and yeah this is team uh, we are two now uh Awesome. Let me bring the other investors in. And to be honest, just from an investor perspective, you could probably work with practicing the pitch a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about the actual design of the, of the motor and where the kind of technology actually is? Uh, design of motors, it's uh every time improving so once we do tests uh we improve so we are solving a lot of issues uh stability uh, stability test uh like increasing in, we are increasing rpm uh, we are increasing the our uh manufacturing process processes and we do research with also advanced materials uh, yeah it is important to like work for current time i mean any questions folks yeah, uh, if I can ask, uh, uh, when you're saying a uh, next generation drone, uh, does it mean uh, your drone is fully uh, energized by the solar panels uh, that the drone has and uh, doesn't need other uh, fuels like uh, hydrogen? And if so, uh, how long uh, can it fly? Okay, so it is going to be energized by uh, mostly by own energy. So we are working on, uh, we are trying to balance 
energy uh, yeah and additionally we we want just in case uh cover is drawn with uh entire entirely with small solar like like square cells and uh, it's going to be uh at least five times uh longer range the drone will have longer range at least five times and uh the speed of the drone uh Is going to be like completely mm -hmm. different uh, path, and I can't tell now, but it will work. So, uh, do you mean uh, speed uh, is the main differentiator of your drone? Yeah, it's uh, it's at least ten times uh, faster. It's going to be. So, uh, uh, with uh, concrete terms, uh, how how many hours or how many miles per hour uh, is the uh, duration or the speed? Because we, we don't know uh, what is the base, mean, base of the five times or ten times. So we are thinking it's... Uh... It's going to be at least work six hours, uh, at least six hours uh, of, from 24. And the speed at least is going to be five times greater. Yeah. Uh, Which means? So if it, that drone work with a completely different uh, like with completely uh, so we do research of anti-gravity like research and uh, uh, it's uh, different physics. What have you actually been able to demonstrate? Well, now uh, the engine, yeah, I have video. Um, okay. Oh, one second. Uh, this is what previous model. It is so we are improving it. Uh, one second. And what exactly is the technology behind this? I don't know if that was not brought up or what or if i missed oh, it somehow oh, it's a magnetic field um, yes why, why do you why do you try to develop the entire drone I, I think the pictures of the motor why do you not focus on on one specific part okay so we we want to create a brand uh like uh because once the technology is going to be so the engine if we release it is going to be spread 
so we we are going to keep it as brand like a Tesla. But uh, yeah, a second. Yeah, but for Tesla, you also need the credibility of Tesla and billions behind you ahead of time to be able uh, to do I, that. I know we don't have now the stability, uh, uh, but to develop one working model, uh, we, we can. We have ability. Um, I mean, in general, great claims require great proof, and I haven't seen anything. I'm being yeah. totally honest. Yeah, we okay. Let me just share screen. Uh, everybody can see it. So this is a test prototype, and and it's shaking now, and we are improving. We making system better. So can you elaborate what are we actually seeing here what, what is happening inside inside of this uh it's uh okay so this this is uh this is kind of another type of engine uh it's full of magnetic so it's 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 a big research like inside and uh it required a, a lot of explanation. So now I can tell that it's uh, fully magnetic and it, it has different properties and it's consuming maybe 20 times less energy than all that currently exists on market. Uh, so it can work from one amp per volt, like from small battery. And yeah, I'm not gonna uh, like we just we just do work and yeah. we so from my experience uh, we 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 are not going to prove any, every, anybody anything. So we are just creating. We it's work. It's hard work. Uh, we we are working on it, and yeah. So this model is uh, made by me and my teammates, and we do entirely custom. Uh, very good. Custom Any last questions, custom. folks? I think that's pretty much everything. Then thanks for pitching. And I would pass things over now to Alex, who's back with a functional laptop for uh, Cascadia. Do you want to? You want to take things away, Alex? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, looking good. Take it away. Your audio is off, Alex. Let's see. Can you hear me now? You should be good. Take it away. Let's take two. Right. Sorry about that. I'm having technical difficulties. Uh, yeah, my, my name is Alex Wick. I'm a master forester. I've been living in the Cascadia bioregion, which is the Pacific Northwest of the US and Canada for the last 10 years. Um, I have a company called Cascadia Carbon. Uh, we've been building a patented uh, blockchain-based uh, digital twin platform for carbon-negative assets. 
Uh, so I, I wanted to do last minute what I do. I said we tokenize carbon negative assets. Uh, and why do we do this? We do this because the, the voluntary carbon market has a real big problem, and that's um, trust. You know, um, tons of companies go out and plant millions of trees. 99% of those trees die in the first couple of years, and no one can verify that they're there. Um, and that's because most of the companies do this top-down reporting where they're using satellite imagery and planting large numbers of trees. Uh, we take the, the reverse um, approach where we are doing a bottom-up approach. Um, so we enable individuals to actually tokenize their individual trees um, and then monetize them with these fractional ton carbon offsets. Um, we, we, I put in the link to our green paper earlier. Um, we have a patent pending status and we have a ERC-20 token, which is actually carbon negative. Um, and so one codex token, uh, codex stands for carbon offset decentralized exchange, uh, is one-to-one -one backed with one kilogram year of carbon dioxide. Uh, we, we built an app, uh, sorry, a website, um, carbonot.app, uh, I'll put that in the chat, uh, where you can actually upload one of your own trees in your backyard, front yard, tree tree, any tree, um, and you can see how it works. So basically we issue you a unique QR code for that tree. Uh, you upload a, a photo of the tree, uh, at least annually to ensure it's still living and growing, a precise location, which allows us to generate that unique identifier because fortunately trees don't move. Uh, and then the, the ongoing additional growth of the tree is actually where the offset comes from. Uh, we're fully Web3 integrated, so we have a partnership with Polygon. Um, as I mentioned, we have an ERC-20 token. Uh, we're supported by the government of Canada. We've signed the Crypto Climate Accord and we're um, they say we're, we're a marketplace for individuals to connect with corporations to buy, sell, and trade carbon offsets. Uh, we've been doing 100% organic growth to date, so no paid marketing. It's essentially word of mouth, which is uh, in the environmentalist community, it's really the gold standard. Um, so I, I had a co-founder uh, in 2020. He had 200 acres of land on the North Amqua. In 2020, a wildfire ripped through his whole uh, area, burned his retreat center's house to the ground, uh, torched all the trees. And um, at that point, that's when we sort of, or I, I sort of took a look at the voluntary government market and said, okay, so we're planting all these millions of trees and they're, they're essentially tinder boxes. Um, but urban trees are a very different type of growth for trees, I guess, as a forester, you know, they, they have a much higher success rate. Uh, they have a faster growth rate because of the increased temperatures in urban areas, as well as the increased CO2 levels. And they're more likely to survive because they have people stewarding and taking care of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess a little bit about our recent traction and progress. We were recently featuring KGW. Uh, so last year, we featured in KGW of Portland Area News Network about how you can monetize your uh, street trees and, and trees in your front yard. We got about 1,500 individuals who are interested in participating in the data generation component of our platform. Uh, again, we're doing a bottom-up uh, offset generation scheme. We call it a scheme because that's what it's called in the voluntary covered market. There's, it's not a scam. 
Um, the, the, the bottom up scheme requires a lot of data from individual trees to determine an accurate growth rate of each individual tree. Once you get enough of those trees, you can then scale that up. Um, it's, it's a very unique way of looking at the market, and it, it's it's methodological. second warning. Uh, it's method method. Can't say the word. The methodology is accurate. Um, and so, I mean, the VCM is essentially the wild west. You know, there, there's hundreds of thousands of tons on there that are never existed in real life or may no longer exist. Uh, you know, they're not accurately quantified. There's conflicts of interest inherent in the, the verification process. And so by using this individual tree, this single tree selection, which is based on a US Forest Service iTree protocol, um, it improves the offset precision and quality almost immediately and actually improves the whole marketplace as a whole. And time is up. What are you guys looking for? Uh, we're looking for exposure. We're actually at the COP28. We're going to be running some redwoods over there. Um, and yeah, so just looking for, uh, I mean, feedback is always great. I just love hearing, you know. Uh, again, I'm not an MBA. I'm a forester. So I worked for the Forest Service, held a secret clearance, um, worked with the biometrics division over there. Uh, so just you know, if you guys you guys are investors, you, you know how to monetize things and you know how to really drill down and look for the the money making parts of a business. And you know, I think with with our patent, we have something here. Uh, we're just looking for your your expertise. We'll then take things away, guys. Any questions? I can maybe start. Thank you, Alex. Um, what, can you maybe shed some light on exactly how you do the MRV, how you collect the data, and how it is then uploaded to the blockchain? Uh, sorry. Yeah. So uh, the data is all through Carbonaut.app. Uh, it's, it's crowdsourced reporting. Uh, and our patent is around using this statistical analysis. So getting multiple individuals to report on a single tree. And that allows you to converge around the, the true value of the trade. Yeah. Do, why do you think, I mean, I, I appreciate your ambition of doing every individual tree. Um, why do you think you need several data points per tree? Can you just, uh, do you think it's necessary? Uh, I mean, for, for the MRV, yes. The, the data points, one of the, the issues with offsets is they have to be ongoing and additional which is actually a pretty high bar. Um, and so corporations like uh, Frontier Fund, for example, they need a thousand year permanence, which basically excludes any sort of nature-based solutions. And, and I think that a lot of the corporates that are getting into this field are, are have these really rigorous, um, like actually prohibitive um, requirements. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, an offsite is like a tree grows, it pulls carbon from the atmosphere. And the mass of the carbon removed from the atmosphere is the amount of offset. And, and that's why we, we chose to go with the bottom-up approach for individual tree selection. We invested in a company called Open Forest Protocol. Have you heard of them? Yeah. How, did, how do you differentiate yourself primarily? I guess it's uh, uh, every single tree thing for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so Open Forest Protocol, I, I know them well. They're a great uh, idea. They, they focus mostly on small landowners. I think uh, NCX is also a, a sort of competitor to OFP. Um, our, um, our value add, I'll say, is really engaging 
individuals. So previously, like whether you're First Nations, BIPOC, uh, you know, socioeconomically disadvantaged neighborhoods, uh, it allows anyone to become part of this for reporting and this, this verification methodology. And at the end of the day, you know, we need everyone. Maybe then the, my last question from my end is, uh, how do you acquire all these individuals to be part of the, the MRV and how do you incentivize them? Yeah, so, so that, that, that's, that's another thing that differentiates us. So we're building what we call like Pokemon Go for climate change. With strategies, we're gonna be partnering with cities, uh, tokenizing their street trees and then having Gen Z kids going around, you know, taking photos of trees, doing this sort of citizen science climate reporting. And yeah, I don't know if you guys know any Gen Z people. I don't think any of you are Gen Z, but you know, you know that they're rabid about climate change because it's going to affect them disproportionately. So the short answer is through gamification of the tokens. Yeah. Hey Alex, um, how can if you say you focus on individuals, or that is maybe your your first feature, how do you? Um, incentivize them not only to do, take the pictures but can they can they earn money with planting a tree in their garden um probably they, they can right so how 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 can they actually get to the money i think there's some kind of exchange on the marketplace how does it work uh yeah so our erc20 token and the carbon offset dex the decentralized exchange the the codex token has a value of 10 cents per token uh which works out nicely to 220 dollars per ton which is 2019 Stanford estimated true social cost of carbon. And that $220 per ton is significantly more than the, the amount that carbon credits currently sell in the marketplace. They're going for like $2 to $20. Uh, though I will say, you know, the, the VCM is sort of all over the place. You can buy carbon offsets for $880 a ton from, you know, the Orca plant with Climeworks. Um, so, you know, it, it definitely depends on the data behind the offset, because at the end of the day, the offset's only as good as the data that it's based on. Um, but so that ERC20 token, which is then dispersed for, uh, you know, every time a individual uploads a photo uh, for the growth, the ongoing additional growth of their tree, uh, that corresponds to a monetary amount. And what what can you do with the with the token then? I mean, at least in where I'm based in Germany, it's it's pretty complicated to to trade uh, CO2 certificates or anything um, alike. So how 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 do you get to the money then in in Canada, for example? If you have the token. Uh, so if you have a token, currently it's just a token, it's just bragging rights. You can say, hey, I have thousand codex tokens, you know, my redwood in my backyard is growing. Um, you know, we're working on adding a leaderboard, things like that. Um because it's an ERC20 token, though, it is exchangeable on exchanges. Um, you know, we're working on building out smart contracts around that. Uh, so there's there's definitely potential in the future for it to be monetized for you to actually offload these tokens, trade them to corporations, for example, who need to purchase offsets. Uh, currently, you know that that's currently it's as I mentioned, it's just sort of a vanity metric essentially. Though I will say, virtue signaling in the environmental community is a really big deal. So having the tokens, even if they're not directly exchangeable for uh, you know fiat money, is is incentive for a lot of younger people and a lot of environmentalists. What about incentives for other environmental type things, such as access to climate conferences or different climate apps or different yada yada or digital access to content, et cetera? Yeah, that, that's a great that's a great point, great thought. Um, we've definitely considered it, and and one thing I want to be clear is there, there's a big difference between these sort of avoided emissions offsets 
Uh, and one of the, the websites I threw in the chat originally, the, the Offset website, is not actually a, um, it wasn't built by us, but it, it's essentially sort of a satirical way of saying like, hey, uh, it's an industrial sabotage offset methodology. It's not real, but the methodology is valid according to the avoided emissions methodology. We focus only on the carbon negative, like true carbon negative carbon offset methodology. Uh, and that's basically just storage of carbon, either you know geological storage long term or nature based, uh, you know more short term storage. There's definitely an opportunity though to use Codex tokens. I think to, for example, buy a ticket to a climate conference or something like that. What exactly is your IP around? You were discussing a little bit in terms of having individuals actually take photos of the of trees. Yeah, so we have a patent pending. Uh, it's for the crowdsource verification methodology. So it's using, essentially, as I mentioned, statistical analysis and multiple um, potentially fallible individuals to arrive at a, a true consensus on, you know, does that tree exist? How big is it? How fast is it growing? Why don't you um, license that as a technology to the other carbon uh, accounting and tracking and carbon credit platforms because they all have no idea what they're doing and it's building out your own actual token and technology and then trying to build out the entire platform for it is a much bigger ask than building the verification platform so everyone can scan a QR code and then have a receipt delivered to yada yada. Yeah, I mean, so I think the only issue with that is that's a great idea. And I think that, you know, if you know anyone in NCX or OFP, that would be, please introduce me because I'd be happy to pitch our, our value proposition to them. Um, the main issue with that is like NCX, for example, has, uh, you know, Loblolly Pine Forest in, in the Southeast US. And that's not near a town. It's, you know, you'd have to drive to get out there. It's probably private property. There's hundreds of thousands of trees. So it doesn't really... Um, it's difficult to scale up that individual uh, tree methodology, and you can do it by using subsampling. And, and I've done actually a bunch of that as an inventory forester with the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, so it's possible to do, but it, it's it's uh, it's difficult. Uh, can I understand? Uh, you uh, I guess uh, the registering uh, your project uh, with gold standard and they verify. Uh, sorry, you said uh, we're we're registering our project with Gold Standard. Yeah, uh, I wondered uh, if your project is uh, like say, meets the standard of Golden Sand Gold Standard to give a uh, brand credit. Yes, that's a great question. Um, we're, we're not currently registered with them primarily because I, I as far as I know, at least, uh, you know, Vera Gold Standard Climate Actioners are all sort of the big. Um, verification bodies uh, don't touch tokenized offsets. Uh, so anything with blockchain, they, they really won't um, certify or um, I think probably because they view it as a threat to their business model, which sure is a middleman type model and blockchain really excludes. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. Because I, I, I was wondering, because I can say uh, the, there should be some uh, standard uh, to be, like I say, uh, verified by such a verification bodies, because like uh, the age of the trees and how long uh, the tree will be put up it matters a lot. So it is probably the, like I say, there's some hurdles. Uh, the individual trees uh, will be, 
meet the standard of such a verification body. Yeah, and, and so as I mentioned, we use the it's a US Forest Service open source tool. It's called iTree. And it's available on their website. So it's uh you know, it's essentially an Excel calculator. Um, but we add some other components to it. So it includes uh, geolocation, uh, distance to distance and azimuth to a the closest building, uh, species of tree. Uh, there's several other factors they have to input, and then it outputs a, a carbon storage coefficient. How are you currently funded? I mean, that's a lot of tech you just mentioned. Are you building that in-house? And if so, how are you funded? Uh, sorry, you said that's a lot of tech. Are we building in-house? And if so, what? And if you build it in-house, I guess you need you need some money for that. So how are you funded at the moment? Uh, yeah, so it's myself and my co-founder. We're building it ourselves. Uh, the, what I just mentioned, the, the tech with the iForce, um, sorry, iTree, US Forest Service iTree protocol is um, that we're not building that. That's the Forest Service has built that in the past. Uh, so we're leveraging that. Cool. Yeah. Who's the business guy or business gal? So that, that's who we're looking for right now. My co-founder dropped. Um, he uh, So, you know, after, after the fire, he essentially went from having 200 acres, a house, a home, a family to having, you know, a car and the clothes on his back. So he had to drop the company. Uh, we've been sort of limping along since then. Uh, we're we're looking for an investor that can also come in and really act as the the business acumen for the company. Tough sell. You're probably looking more for a venture studio that wants to take you on board than somebody like an antler, maybe. I mean, we'd be open in a venture studio. We have a one seed investor. He's a VP of engineering at a, a crypto hedge fund in New York City. Uh, he put in some money, but isn't really uh, able to you know delegate the time we need. Awesome. Any last questions then, folks? Thank you very much for letting me present. And yeah, thanks so much thanks. for presenting then, Alex. Great job. Keep up the keep up the good work. And now I guess it's the time where we move into the the last segment of the show. And that's the the startup of the the startup of the night. Do we have any any favorites, which ones we find most interesting or who you'd want to set up a call with? You want to go first, Alex, and Zoom chose you to be at the top. I can go first. Yeah, sorry for I had to find the mute button. Uh, I would uh, choose Bluetech, actually. Um, I find it very interesting, the approach and the go-to-market, um, especially the potential of the company to extend to other verticals um, is, uh, is, in my opinion, uh, quite large. Um, so for me, Bluetech is uh, the startup of the night. And Taruka? I, I missed uh, the question. Who is your favorite one or two companies of the night and why? Uh, uh, well, I, uh, it's not uh, actually, actually what I like, like or uh, dislike, but uh, yeah, I couldn't understand well with uh, about the technology of white quantum. So yeah, I... I want to know more about the technology. Okay, and Sandra? Um, I would probably choose Thule, the real estate real estate um, project or company. Uh, but I also quite like, um, Alex, your yours with the trees. Um, I think it's a great idea. And if you find 
find a way to to leverage the technology maybe um, as Matt also mentioned in a different way and not try to build up the entire product yourself. I think it's a cool cool thing to do. Especially because you're more the forest guy and trying to have to be the tech guy, it could be a, it could be another way to go. And there's plenty of platforms that are, let's just say, struggling with the the authentication of carbon credits and proving they're not completely bullshit. So maybe having a better way of doing that with a crowdsourced model could be a, a good way of going. I liked, I liked Blue Tech. I liked Thule. I thought they were both good. I I wouldn't say there's really a clear winner of the night i would probably go between between both of those and then say that cascadia had some pretty interesting potential but not necessarily kind of a vc case at this point any any thoughts any comments anything you guys want to add to that nothing from my side but thank you so much for the feedback and the questions definitely something to take back for me and my team yeah absolutely and thanks everybody for coming on and pitching you all did a great job just getting in front of the audience and getting in front of the camera. I know it's hard, not as hard as starting a company, but well, he signed up for it. And if you guys have any questions or want to reach any of our investors, Alex, where's the best place for people to find you? So find me on LinkedIn, um, Alex Langer. Um, always responding to messages there usually. Always responding usually. That's always good. <laughs> Daruka, you're up next. Yeah, I I'm on LinkedIn as well. And Sandro. LinkedIn as well. You can reach out. We have a chat for sure. Awesome. And folks, you know where to find us. Forward.vc, the number four, ward.vc. We invest in and help companies that move the world forward. If you haven't checked out our Climate Techies membership, we help companies with events, networking, content, connections, partnerships, etc. We've got our Climate VC database, our Climate Solutions database, our Slacks, our WhatsApps, our pretty much everything else, depending on pick your own journey, pick your own climate adventure journey, et cetera, et cetera. Forward.vc for more details, the startuptank.com to apply for an upcoming session. And thanks everybody for tuning in. If you haven't hit the subscribe bell and I will wish you all a good night. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to another segment of the Startup Tank Climate Investor Pitch Show presented by Forward VC. I'm your host, Matt Ward, serial founder, climate investor, and partner at Forward VC's Angel Syndicate, investing in companies that move the world forward. To learn more about me, download my free growth and fundraising guides, or to get help scaling your company, please visit mattward.io. If you're interested in pitching on a future segment of The Startup Tank, please visit thestartuptank.com. And if you're a credit investor interested in investing alongside us in top climate and impact companies that move the world forward, please visit forward.vc for more details and to apply.